All right, good morning. It is near the hour, or at least by the time I'm done, it will be the hour. If you did not get a handout, there are three music stands out there with a blue piece of paper. One piece of paper will suffice for your needs this morning. And uh, you can already begin anticipating what those blanks are going to be. And God is going to fill in the blanks of whatever you've been missing in your head regarding church leadership and all the tools necessary to uh, to bring some revitalization to whatever kind of ministry you're a part of. Not necessarily a church. It could be a parachurch ministry. It could be uh, a simply a committee uh, that you serve on. Anyway, yesterday you joined in with me in song. You relived the days of when I was a dean of a primary camp, and you did amazingly well. This morning, I was singing for our kitchen staff, and somebody said, I haven't heard that song in forever. So let's see how you do. And forgive me for key and sometimes for proper words, which is pretty substantial when it comes to singing a song, isn't it? (laughs) It's a happy day. And I thank God for the weather. It's a happy day, and I'm living it for my Lord. It's a happy day, and things are going to get better. Living each day on the promises of God's word. Woo, we did it together. How many of you just learned a new song? So today, whatever you're going through in the weather or whatnot, you just start humming. It's a happy day, and I thank God for the weather. Oh, who's going to get convicted now through the rest of the day? Let's pray together. Father, we are a grateful people that you reveal yourself through your word. We are a grateful people that each day, as your word is uh, unveiled, as it's opened, that uh, we're taught something new. And we thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself to Ken who now brings himself to us to reveal for us that thought that you have impressed upon him. And so, God, begin already the work of your Holy Spirit working in our midst, working in our lives, working in our churches, working in our ministries. Father, uh, we uh, want you to reveal yourself in a way that impacts us today and in the days ahead. So we do thank you for today. And for whatever it might bring us, in Jesus' name we pray. And God bless Ken as he comes to share his uh, thoughts with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning. Good morning. There are two types of people, those who love the morning and those who hate those who love the morning. <laughs> I am a morning person, so people usually hate me because I'm, I'm kind of with Kevin. I'll sing it's a happy day kind of thing. Uh, but as the day goes on, I get tired. And as the week at Bayshore goes on, I get tired. <laughs> this place, man, is intense. You guys, I thought I had endurance as a runner. You guys have endurance, let me just say. That's fantastic. Well, uh, today, um, oh boy, it's tricky to say. Um, this may be one of my, mo- this is probably my favorite topic, though the other two were just fun to talk systems and think big picture kind of stuff. But this is really the heart of why I'm in ministry, today's topic, and the issue of how do you reach a messy generation? How do you reach a messy culture? How do we stay relevant when everything around us changes so rapidly? Do you, do you just feel irrelevant? 
I feel irrelevant, and I feel like I'm trying to keep up with the times. It's become a TGIF world. Twitter, Google, Instagram, iPads, right? Facebook. I mean, it's this stuff. When I was in seminary, and that was just, you know, 20 years ago or 18 years ago, I'll tell you, barely email. There was barely email when I was in seminary. I mean, that's how quickly things have changed just so, so fast before our eyes. When my wife and I were married, coming up on 20 years ago, we... we bought, with all the money we were given from the party, we were given uh, a total of, through all the different gifts and stuff, $3,000. And we put all of that money down on our very first personal computer. It was a Micron, $3,000, 16 megabytes of RAM. <laughs> you can't even turn on a computer with 16 megabytes today. 16 megabytes. Are you kidding me? Now my kids are carrying terabytes, which isn't even just, I mean, you know, megabyte, gigabyte, terabyte in their pocket in a little thumb drive. It's a massively weird world around us. And so what we need to um, understand is that even though the world gets complex and it feels like we're becoming more irrelevant all the time, still two words make all the difference in being a relevant church. I am convinced. Well, it's more complicated than that, but two words that will, I, I have found to be the most helpful way to train our people to keep being a church that grows. And then there's some things we got to talk about on how to kind of create good atmosphere for your church. That's what we'll get into. But fill in the blank right at the top there. Invest and invite. If you were to talk to any of our cornerstone folk who have been around, they would say those two words get inundated in their soul over and over and over again. As much as we try and try and try and try and try to keep marketing, reaching out to people, that kind of stuff, it still comes down to the secret of getting your people to invest in their friends and networks and then having the courage to invite Churches that don't train their people on how to do that become less and less and less um, energetic. They just truly do lose people. As much as we try to get, you know, we put a lot of money into stage design and making the place look pretty and we make the atmosphere really attractive. And I mean, we do all the sound and lights and smoke and mirrors and all the garbage that we have to deal with to try to kind of keep up with people that want, you know, high energy kind of stuff. But that doesn't ultimately get the people in the door. What gets people in the door is just a friend bringing somebody in. We tell them the very, the most important body part that a Christian can have in terms of evangelism is the elbow. It has been proven time and time again that 80% of people that come in on your elbow stay in your church because they have accountability, they have friendship, they have connection, they have somebody who will take them by the elbow and show them, here's the kid's wing, here's what happens here, here's some of the the behind-the-scenes traditions, this is kind of how our church functions. They introduce people to people. But when somebody comes in off the street because they see a funny phrase on your sign out front, which, by the way, pretty much repels my generation and below, those are cheesy signs, you know? You know what I mean, the C-H, blank, blank, C-H, uh, church, what's missing? You are, you know, I mean, the, the, that cheesy stuff doesn't draw people into church as much as we think it does. Um, I would encourage you to put on your, your sign out front um, a healthier marriage. 
come and check it out if you're doing a series on teaching on marriage, that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, even if you have something attractive to draw people in, they stick less than 20% of the time, really under 10% of the time. If you have a big marketing campaign and you put all these things on billboards and all that stuff, people still will just come in and uh, check it out, but they, they typically fall out around 10 to 7% of the time, somewhere in that ballpark, they stick just 7 to 10% of the time. But when they come in on the elbow, they stick. So with that said, I want to talk about how to do that, how to get your people to kind of think through this stuff. Uh, and I want to um, go through, a, 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 in, in light of this being Bible study as well, I want to make sure we have um, tons of good scripture perspective for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 gets misquoted all the time in our churches. Uh, let's put it in context here. Jeremiah 29, 11 up on the screen here. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. Uh, that's a different kind of translation, but you know the concept. To, to prosper you, God has a plan for you. Of course, that was for Israel, we know that, but people have taken it to say, hey, that's just for me as well, and God has a plan to prosper me. And so we've used that verse time and time and time again. But do you know the verses that come just before that famous verse? Let me show them to you. It's missional, very missional. This was written in the time when the people were in Babylonian captivity. Judah had been taken, so Israel was no more up in the north when they were a divided kingdom. Israel was ransacked by Assyria, but then Judah, after a hundred and so years of thinking, hey, we've got everything we want, God's not going to ever hurt us, uh, God, in their, in their sin, God allowed their sin to destroy them. The Babylonians come in, take them captive, and look at what God says to them in the verses prior to Jeremiah 29, 11. This is Jeremiah 5 through 7. People, or build homes when you're in captivity. Build homes and plan to stay in exile. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that they may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you there in Babylon. Pray to the Lord for it, for its peace will determine your peace. And then a couple more verses, then it says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. So what is that saying? God is saying the same thing Jesus said then years later in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. And we always translate that and say, go and make disciples means go to Africa. But the word go in the Great Commission is a participle. It should translate literally in the Greek, going. Wherever you are going, make disciples. In other words, no matter where you are, Look for opportunities 
to do life with people. That's what was happening in Jeremiah. He was saying, build homes, plant gardens, do life with these people, plan to stay there a long time because while I used Babylon and it seemed terrible, like Habakkuk said, why God, where are you? What are you doing? You're allowing Babylon to take us captive? And God says, you won't even believe it. I'm using Babylon because I know great things are coming and here's what's awesome. They get taken into captivity. Jeremiah comes along and says, you guys, now that you're in captivity here in Babylon, keep living there well in other words i'm gonna i use them to bring judgment on you but now i'm using you to bring them to salvation in other words do life with the people around you don't separate yourselves now there are times like a bayshore experience to come get away get rejuvenated get refilled that's what we do with Sundays. There's that experience where you get to have some experiences in Bible study, prayer. You grow together, but then you go back out into the world and you have a chance to just really pour into people. And that's exactly what Jeremiah is saying. Do life with them. Experience their world. And so that's what we tell our people time and time and time again. So to do that, we tell our people, do one thing and do it well. Meaning... If you're on the trustees, don't do anything else in this church. One, if you're doing a lot of things, you're taking up jobs from other people doing other things. How many of you have more than one role in your church right now? Every hand is raised, <laughs> if you're honest, probably. That just is the case. We are so prone to see an empty spot, so then we get plugged in there. And so a couple of bad things happen. When you do more than one thing, you're taking up spots for other people. And somebody asked the question yesterday, what happens when you start a ministry and you launch into another location and now um, you have like 80 people that left your church that was sending them and now you have 80 open spots? Uh, that's scary to me because you're gonna not have people to fill in the gaps. And I'm like, you'll be surprised because what's been happening is there've been a lot of people in the church just sitting back going like this there's not a place needed for me because, you know, Missy over there was doing four jobs and she's very capable, so I'm not needed. But once Missy goes over there, whoa, there's four open spots, I'm needed. You'll be amazed at how people step in and fill the gaps. Happens all the time. I've seen it in churches all over the country. Anytime I've seen churches send people away, you know, into the next Babylon, not into exile or captivity, but launching a new ministry, but um, they, I, we've always seen God reproduce these people because people step up. So that's one reason why you shouldn't do more than one thing. But the bigger reason why we tell people do one thing and do it well is because we don't want you so involved in the church that you're not living in your neighborhood. We tell our people, if there's a Wednesday night program, just come to that, but don't come to the Monday night Bible study as well. We have things going all the time at the church, but just because the lights are on, we don't want you here. We want you here just maybe one time a week outside of Sunday, maximum. So that's why we try to do a whole lot less meetings and a whole lot more ministry in the neighborhood. So we're telling people, do life with people. Go to so soccer games and hang out at baseball games and, and go to movies with neighbors and invite them over to your house and have a Matthew party. If you've ever read Matthew 25, Matthew, when he first became a believer in Jesus, he invited all of his unbelieving friends to his house and Jesus showed up and it was a big Jesus party. You could do that in your neighborhood. So we're telling our people, do life 
in and among the people that you live. Don't just get so inundated with res responsibilities and relationships at church that you don't even have connection with your neighborhood. And so we teach that at our church all the time. And I would encourage you to do the same because we've missed the Jeremiah principle. Build homes, plant gardens, live in and among the people or you will cease to be relevant. You see, when you're in and among the people, they're messy. I'll explain as we go how it's messy for me as a pastor when I'm in and among my neighbors and they want to get together like one guy, let's go to the Motley Crue concert together. And I've been working on him. I'll tell you how that story played out in just a little bit. That was not good. Um, I'll, I'll skip these stories. We'll keep moving on. Okay, so what I want to do is just share with you... Um, the four stages, we'll fill in these blanks, because I know some of you were having a heart attack that I didn't get to the blanks till the end yesterday. I'll do them up front, and then we'll work at it this way. <laughs> We've never done it that way before. The blanks have to be filled in first. Number, number one, these are the four stages, and these are things that we just teach our people. In fact, if you ever listen to our teachings online at my church, cornerstonemi.org, um, you'll see I'm actually preaching this concept, though I've taught it from many different angles, many different ways. Um, this is one I'll be preaching here in a couple of weeks just to show you. We, every year, keep doing retraining. In August, we see that as a time to re-equip our people to get ready for the fall push. And so we get into a rhythm of saying, okay, when are the times of really heavy training of our people, and when is it really heavy time for reaching out to others? I'll explain more about that as well as we go. But the first stage, okay, and th these are the four stages in how to live in and among your neighborhood, how to live in and among your coworkers, how to start to do life with them and bring them into a chance for you to invite them because you have to first invest. These are the four things to invest in your people that God has brought into your sphere of influence, okay, your sphere of influence. The first one is what we've already talked about, but I'll say it from another angle. You've got to start by just praying for them. I mean, we've talked about prayer a lot this week, obviously, in all the different Bible studies and the different ways, but of course, prayer is key. But I want to show you prayer from an angle you've never, maybe not thought of before. Luke chapter um, 6, verses 12 and 13. I didn't write those in there, did I? So write these verses down. Luke 6, 12 through 13. This is Jesus calling his disciples. One day I started asking the question, how did Jesus call his disciples? And as I did the Greek study behind the words, I was like blown away at how Jesus found his 12. Let's find it together here. And I want to start by... Um, Maybe, um, I don't, I, like on a board, sorry I didn't get ahead of time, get this board, I was thinking about it, just forgot to mention it. OU ending, you know how any of you speak Spanish or another language, you know how there's endings? Well, even we can speak English. I-N-G ending, the participle kind of thing, you're going, right? We just talked about that. Same thing in any language. In Greek, it's the exact same thing, only Greek is a whole lot cleaner than English. I mean, it's just like point blank. If it's this kind of ending, it's clearly this result, okay? An OU ending is always a possessive ending. And I'll explain as what that means in just a minute, which means like um, of, you know, kind of to possess something, you know, like I am the son of David. So, you know, to theou kind of thing, I would be, um, or 
Tuwiu would be, I am the son of Dennis. Okay, so that's what that means. It's a possessive, okay? O-U ending, very clear. Uh, an omega ending, which is a W, is a prepositional ending, like to, I'm going to the park, or, you know, I'm running uh, around the log, whatever, prepositional ending. I'll explain what that means, but more of a, a to kind of ending. With that said, Luke chapter 6, let's see it up on the screen here. Now, during those days... Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God, okay? So that would be an omega, to, theu, w ending, w ending, okay? And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. But do you know what that actual ending on the, the to God is? It's actually an O-U. Now, if I was writing it down, it would be a little more clear. It's kind of hard to picture it in your brain right now, but just trust me on this. The, it's an O-U ending, which actually is supposed to be possessive, which means of. So that should translate. But in English, it's hard to translate it because it just sounds weird. Because listen to how weird this would sound. But if we literally translate this, this is how it literally reads. And Jesus spent the night in prayer of God. Jesus went up to a mountain, and when he was looking for his 12, he listened to God's prayer. Jesus didn't go up there to say, okay, Lord, you tell me right now, and I, this is what I'm going to command, and I, I'm going to choose Matthew, and I'm going to choose uh, uh, Philip, and I'm going to choose Peter. No, he went up there, and he said, I'm going to go up to the mountain to listen. Prayer is, as we know, two-way communication, and here's proof of that. You can't get around that grammatically. It's very clearly the prayer of God. It's a, it's a possessive word there, meaning God spoke into Jesus' heart. Now, you probably know that already, but it's kind of fun when you find this really definitive kind of stuff. And so I've been praying that way ever since. Okay, God, I'm not going to just go in and talk, 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 talk during my prayer time. I'm going to listen, 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 listen during my prayer time. And so this is what I do. In my prayer time, I'll, I'll um, claim the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 says we have the mind of Christ, meaning we can understand the mysteries of faith. We, the world around us doesn't understand the mysteries, but we, this sounds very exclusive, but we're children of God. So we are in a family. And so that means God is going to speak to us. And so I say, God, who are my twelve? I don't believe I'm, you know, in, in the same ability as Jesus yet. So right now I'm saying, who are my seven? So I'm just, I'm, I'm looking for my seven disciples. And maybe one day I'll, I'll have the courage to pray for 12 because that's too much. <laughs> I, can, I can't handle that many. So I, and um, we actually preached a series at Cornerstone called Seven. Who are your seven? And so um, it's pretty fun. We did that like five or six years ago. And then we took some um, big drywall boards because we were building a new building. We were going to take those drywall boards and put them up at the new building. And we did that. And we had people come up and write the names of their seven. And it was right up at the altar. And so we had all these drywall boards going all along in the front of our stage. And um, at the end of the series of four teachings on how to evangelize and reach people, everybody came forward and just wrote the names of their seven on that board. And then now it's in our prayer room at our new building. 
And here's what's cool. One of them was my brother-in-law. I had his name up there, and I was doing a funeral for a friend of his, and he was in the prayer room, and he came around the corner, and he looked, and he was like, why is my name on the wall? (laughs) I mean, it was just hilarious, and that was from like five years earlier. And I said, I've been praying for you. It was an awesome opportunity for him to know I care enough about him that he's going to be an agenda of mine. That he may have been offended, you know, I don't know, but it was pretty awkward. It was pretty weird. But um, I can't tell you the number of times people have come up and they've introduced me. Hey, Pastor Ken, this is one of my seven. His name is Joe. I want you to meet him. I, I'm not kidding you. I hear that all the time because we've gotten our people to think missionally. Do life in your neighborhood. Don't hang out at Cornerstone all the time. I know this is a fun place to hang out, but just be here occasionally every week. Spend your time planting gardens, doing life in your neighborhood, in your workplace. It may be awkward when your friends at work say, hey, can you go out to the bar? You can go out to the bar. Just have a non-alcoholic drink. You don't have to just be completely like them, but you can be in their midst and doing life with them as best you are able to do. And that's what people are doing, and they're loving it. And then it's our job, and I'll talk about this as we go, but to create an atmosphere where they can be proud to invite their friends. We'll end with that today as we come to that, but I want to keep talking through these four stages. The second one is this. Talk. Just talk to them. I mean, this is pretty basic. The next two are a little more fun to talk about, but the first one's pretty obvious. Pray. Pray for your seven. I'd like to have you write down even who are the seven people in your mind that come to your mind right now. That would be a good exercise for this week. You know, just write down your seven and then talk to them. And here's what I mean by talk. And here's what we coach our people to do. Ask questions. Everybody likes to talk about themselves. And so you need to learn how to. I preached a sermon a long time ago saying you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should ask twice as many questions as you answer. And so we tell people, are you asking questions? Are you asking questions? Are you entering in? Because we're going to fish for people. And as you fish for people, you have to realize what kind of bait people bite. And you know what bait people bite? Selfish bait. You ask me about myself, I'm going to instantly talk to you. And then I'm instantly going to like you because I like that somebody wants to hear about me. Nobody's listening anymore. Meg goodness since Facebook came out everybody's posting what they're doing and they're not caring what anybody else is doing and it's like everybody look at my world and we really have my son the other day was singing a song a billion hits is what I want you know or a billion hits it's a it's a beboppy Disney tune song it's the dumbest song I've ever heard but it's all about getting followers and he his goal is to get a billion followers and I'm like for what purpose I don't know. So you have a billion followers. So they can laugh at my funny vines that I put out there. What? I mean, it's confusing to me, but that's how our world thinks now. It's all about getting followers. My daughter was drawing this thing, and then she put it on her thing, and she said, I get 500 followers looking at this cat that she drew. I'm like, great. Do you know any of those followers? No, but that's her world. That's the generation's world now. And so people are just selfish. I want to have people following me and care about me. And I know that's frustrating as all get out, but that's what they bite. That's how you you fish and you use the bait they're going to bite. And the bait they're going to bite is selfishness. And so we just keep saying, hey, 
get into their world, enter into their world, figure out ways to just keep entering in and figuring out who they are, that kind of stuff. Which leads to number three. Not only pray for them, not only talk to them, but find a common ground event. A common ground event. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Even Paul said, I can't save everybody. But there will be some people who are attracted to you, so find common ground with them. I do everything I can to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Motley Crue story. So a buddy of mine, uh, a guy that I started to meet in my neighborhood, good friends, we really kind of built this really nice friendship. It was really cool. He ended up uh, um, just saying, hey, he didn't know anything about me. He didn't know I was a pastor. He didn't even really care to ask about my life because I kept asking questions about his, so he liked me because I was asking him about him. And uh, as he was getting to know me, he just said, hey, I, I got a free ticket to Motley Crue. They're coming to Grand Rapids, Van End, Lorena, you want to go with me? And I was like, okay, I will. Oh, my gosh, that was the worst night of my life. <laughs> it started out with Jesus on the cross, and it flipped Jesus upside down, and then he went to hell. And uh, wait till you hear how this plays out. And uh, it, it actually was uh, enlightening for me to see what others are seeing, actually. Um, and then it went into their hell song, whatever, Hell's Bells. No, that was Ozzy, but it was something like that. Um, what's their hell song? Any Motley Crue fans? Everybody's going to stay quiet right now. <laughs> Very quiet right now. Anyway, so it's, it's their hell song comes out. They're, everybody's boom, lights and all this stuff. Then they have these women making out up on this big screen. And then this one woman kills this other woman, and everybody cheers. And I don't get even what's going on. Apparently, the, the, there's some cult-following concept, and it's just everybody got it, but I didn't get it, you know. And they're, yeah! And my buddy next to me, he was, like, worshiping. It was worship. I mean, he was crying, this is amazing! And it was just so fascinating to see. So I was entering into a world I hadn't seen really ever, honestly. And uh, um, then it was... And then Tommy Lee comes off the drums and comes down, and everybody's, yeah. And he comes down, and there's a little kid he takes from the first row, three years old, I bet. And some lady has a three-year-old kid in the front row of a Motley Crue concert. Are you kidding me? I'm already high from all, this, all the doobies in the air. You know, the, you know, what's this kid getting in his brain? I mean, I get it. If I go brain dead, is I've had enough life. This kid's three, you know. And Tommy Lee brings him up, and he goes, Hey, you want to talk in the microphone? And this whole stadium packed full of people just screaming. Everybody's happy and all that, you know. And he go, and the kid goes, I want my mommy. And uh, he goes, I want your mommy too. And everybody laughs. And then she lifts her shirt up. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe this world. Anyway, so if you've not seen that kind of stuff, I don't recommend it. <laughs> my point, and here's what ticked me off. At the end of the concert, um, Vince Neal, the lead singer, he goes like this. And I have to admit, I mean, there, it was some fun pyrotechnics, and I was like, wow, I see why people are attracted to this. I mean, it's fleshly. It's very fleshly. But at the end, this is what ticked me off. God bless you, every one of you. Good night. Everything they had done, even the Jesus bit, was all a show to them. But in their mind, they're very much godly people. God bless you. 
And, and I was like, <laughs> what God are you serving? But in their mind, they're good and fine and everything's great, which gave me a huge insight into my buddy. And so he and I have had incredible opportunities to talk this all through and uh, um, to just do life. But here's what's interesting. After that, um, we started to just start asking these kind of questions. And I said, what was the Jesus thing? Do you, can you help me understand that? And he started telling me about, well, that, that's just kind of fun because, you know, uh, he, they're sending Jesus to hell. How ironic is that? And I said, did you know he actually did that? And they're like, he's like, what? And I had a chance actually then to tell him the Jesus story. Todd now, um, well, it, there's a lot more to the story, and I don't want to take the time because it, it's not as worth it. But just to give you the bottom line, he's in my church every Sunday now. And here's how he ended up getting into church. He said when he realized I was a Christian and when he realized the real Jesus story, he was like, I like that. And he said, you know what? You're the first Christian I've never felt judged by in my entire life and he and his family and his wife were in church every single week and uh, um, more attendance than me I wasn't there last week and I'm not going to be there this week I mean I've got worse attendance than he does I mean how cool is that my point is I was I've never been so uncomfortable in my life but it was so unbelievably worth it I would do it time and time and time and time again another guy Jeremy I have to go to his stupid poker parties and I'm terrible at poker I hate poker I hate what it represents, all the smoking, swearing, cursing, all that stuff, and all, I mean, blah, 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 blah. But guess who Jeremy came to when his wife was um, going through labor difficulties and his child was going to die? He came right to my house. He, I prayed over him right then and there. He wept in my presence and um, completely, was, he said, I've never felt that kind of power ever in my life. And I said, that's just, that's why I pray. He's completely open to me because I enter into his world. That's my point. Find common ground. That's extremely uncomfortable at times. Now, those two are extreme cases. Most of the time, it's going out archery hunting, watching a football game, going bowling, you know, doing easier things that aren't getting your heart racing like, oh, my, I'm going to hell right now, you know, <laughs> the scary stuff. But to me, honestly, I believe Jesus hung out in those kind of situations and was willing to say, this person needs me. I came for them. I didn't come for comfort. And so I tell these stories publicly. I encourage our congregation. And there's a ton of stories just like that all the way around, entering into places we never would have courageously gone in the past. But I'm convinced it's worth it. And I hope you, you feel the same. Um, so common ground, that's what I mean by all of that. So my current guy, his name is Tony. Uh, and so I keep winning these people to Christ just by entering into their world. Tony is a uh, tornado chaser, and uh, I'm a storm chaser as well. I'm a weather spotter. I'm officially a weather spotter in Grand Rapids. And so my caller ID, I can call it in and all that stuff, so I love it. So today I'm a little bit happy because there's a little chance of a slight storm. But Michigan stinks for storms. It's, it really does because the stinking lakes just kill it, you know. But I used to live in Fargo, North Dakota, and we would see big storms out there. So I had my fill. Um, but my point is, he just paid $6,000 to be a storm chaser, and he saw seven tornadoes in five days down in Oklahoma with one of the guys from the Weather Channel. And I said, you got to be kidding me, Tony. I pulled out my, I'm a card-carrying member. And so instantly, he and I are bonded. And so he calls me all the time, texts me all this stuff, you know, and he's, he's 65 years old, and he treats me like a best friend. You know, anytime I'm outside, he's, Ken, hey, hey, and he got to hear this, you know. And so he still doesn't know I'm a pastor to this day. 
I just moved into that neighborhood like three months ago, and he still doesn't know I'm a pastor because he's selfish. He's not going to ask me about me. You know, you guys ask me about me because you're Christian, so you're kind, you're, you're unselfish. But people in general are selfish, and they just sometimes don't even think about your world. It's amazing. But you enter into their world, and eventually he's going to ask me. I'm going to say I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, no, I swore in front of you this many times. He's going to instantly start thinking, what have I done? You know, that kind of thing. One time I went out to lunch with a guy, and he, he didn't know I was a Christian. He's a childhood friend. We reconnected on Facebook. He ordered a beer, and it came right to his, his sat right at his table just as he said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor, and the beer was set down. Oh, no, you know, same thing. I didn't shake a stick. I was like, hey, have your beer. I don't care. Big deal, you know, And because uh, I know that's just, a, for him, it's a false crutch. It's just temporary, but when he meets Jesus, he won't have a need for that, you know. I mean, it's just kind of cool. But the day will come. No judgment, just common ground. Point being, I tell Cornerstone this stuff all the time, and you should be doing the same. Train each other, equip each other, get people thinking, how do we live in Babylon? Because like it or not, we're living in Babylon, and it's getting more like Babylon every day. And here's the good news. Jesus said it'll be like Babylon in the times when Christ returns. So it, it just, it, it's just it's awesome, you know? And so live in it, plant gardens, do life, common ground stuff, Teach it, train it, learn it, be uncomfortable. If you're not sweaty palmed one time every week, you, I don't think you're really living out the challenges of go and make disciples the way Jesus called you to. Because when you're going and making disciples, it's uncomfortable and scary and your heart races, all that stuff. But last one, invite, number four, invite. I love, uh, the neat thing about invite is uh, it's that moment when you really see that person is broken, they trust you enough that you can say, hey, because um, sometimes they'll just come to you and say, there's something different about you because they're watching your life. And you can say, you know, I, I go to church and it may seem weird, you know, but it really does give me a different perspective every week and it just realigns my life. Don't talk in weird words, you know, don't talk about things that are uncomfortable, you know, just say, it, it works for me. It may not work for you, but it, would you be willing to try it a couple of times and uh, just see what it's like? And I'll, I'll be with you if you want, you know, just a, a simple invite. So we tell our people, just talk normally and let them know how you feel uncomfortable, but here's how you can feel comfortable uh, in those kinds of things. And um, here's what's really kind of fun. Um, Every Christmas and Easter and big event that we launch, we will buy thousands and thousands of something and put our church logo and um, service times on that thing. Like at Christmas time last year, we gave out a bunch of little sticky note post-it notes um, because uh, people just need post-it notes because there's so many things to keep on your calendar. And they were really high-quality things that had our name um, in the cellophane and then on the side so people could see our names and time. So then you could just simply say, hey, you know, I've been telling you about my church. Here, the, here's a post-it note from them. And so people would grab a whole bunch of them on the way out and then invite their friends with them. It's just an easy, it's a fun little tool. And I know that's cheesy, but it's like if you have your seven, the people you're investing in, here's your chance. It's Christmas time. Invite them. They're, they're expecting an invite, that kind of thing, or at Easter. One time we did um, tape, you know, like that everybody needs tape when they're wrapping presents. So we gave out a ton of tape. You know, we bought just tons and tons, thousands and thousands of them. And people were giving them out. They're like, that's cool. That's kind of relevant. And believe it or not, we have people check us out because of stupid tape. How dumb is that? But it works, you know. One year we gave gum, another year breath mints because um, you have a lot of up-close talk conversations that time of year, you know, that kind of thing. 
one of the um, cool things we've done recently, when we do launching of new sites, we're doing this actually next week for South Wyoming, we do what's called It's On Us. Instead of putting our money into a big billboard, we've been putting our money into an It's On Us promotion, which means from 7 to 9 at night, we go to the local pizza shop and we buy out all the food. And so nobody knows, but they just show up and they, if they order two large pizzas, it's on us. And then the people go, it's paid for? Somebody paid for it? And they go, yeah, uh, that, that church over there. And they give them the, our card with all the information on it. And then somebody's sitting over here at a table. And if you want, you can come up and talk. And so they, every time it's happened, people have just go up and talk to them. You got to be kidding me. Tell me more about this. You know, a lot of people just go, thank you and move on. But it's a planted seed kind of thing. But that's the way we're starting to use our marketing money. So there's a touch point. It's a very... I know it's just a kind of a shotgun approach or, you know, boom, let's just try to reach a bunch. But you usually get 1% to 2% of the people, you know, and that's worth it. You get one or two new families. Suddenly, and if they become a tithing family, if you think some of you are fiscally minded, you're thinking, that's a lot of money. You know, you could say one or two tithing families will pay for that if you pull them into the church. But that's not what we do it for, obviously. We, we just know God always seems to offset the cost. But we've always gained families from doing that. It's just a silly thing, but it, it's worked in that way. One year, um, when I was in another ministry at the Carson City, everybody would gamble. That area was known for gambling. Everybody would go up to the casino at Mount Pleasant. That's just what they did. It was very, it's huge because poverty, people in poverty gamble because they want to get quick fix. And so we threw out at one of the parades, we did this, and we got three families from this. It's the dumbest thing I've ever, I think we've ever done. We decks of cards and we put on it if you don't know Jesus you don't know Jack <laughs> throw them out to everybody three families came because they were like if you guys are that gutsy to do that I want to check out what kind of church you are and they did you know it's, it's kind of fun there was a church I heard of actually that I was coaching over in Missouri they were in a, uh, a bar they had a bar right near them and they were trying to reach people that were hanging out in the bars and so they bought a whole bunch of shot glasses that had their church name on it, and then it said, give us a shot. How cool is that? And they get a lot of, they still to this day get people that come in and check them out uh, just because they were given these shot glasses. Give us a shot, you know. So I know these are cheesy kind of thing, but they, you know, just look for as many variety of ways. I'm trying to plant seeds. You'll come up with your own stuff. This is just a smattering of what other people have done or what we've done. Um, but the, the thing is, um, when you're working with people, it's, it's, it's imperative that you teach your people to not worry about what, where those people are at. We, it's funny to me how as Christians we put our moral code on them. I have no right. So when my buddy drinks a beer, I'm like, who cares? That's your moral compass. That's your world. I have no right to impose my standard of living on you because you're not following Christ. Any judgment we are supposed to cast is supposed to be on each other, holding each other accountable. Uh, so it makes sense. Let them live as they want. And, but here's why I say that biblically. In Acts chapter 16, you see Paul and Silas, and they're sitting there with a jailer. These guys are in jail. They start singing songs, an earthquake happens, and they stay in the jail. And the jailer goes, what? He's going to kill himself, and he goes, you guys didn't break free. You had a chance to go free when I was passed out. And Paul and Silas said, why would we? We care about you. And the man says, I want to know about your God. And so then he takes them, and their whole family is baptized. The jailer comes to Christ. You know the story. 
But here's the phrase that I've been trying to teach Cornerstone as much as I can. And to think through the, the whole feeling of um, this prayer is what I laid out to them. Lord, help me to see who they are yet to be. Lord, help me to see who they are yet to be. In other words, all these different people that I've invested in in my life and I'm telling our current congregation to invest in, they're going to have a different moral compass. They're going to be pro-everything against you. (laughs) Whatever you're against, they'll be for. But it's not your job to say, I'm against it and you're for it. We can't talk. Shame on us if we get that mentality. Don't we realize that that's Paul and Silas were brilliant saying, hey, you're our jailer. We should hate you. Everybody hates jailers. But Paul and Silas said, we love you because Lord has given us the ability to see who you're going to be. You're just not there yet. And when you get there, you're going to be fun to hang with. But right now, you're messy to hang with because you're our adversary. You're our jailer. (laughs) Do you get the tension there, right? But they were able to see through the eyes of the Lord that he is yet to be a beautiful man of God. And so that's why I can go to a Motley Crue concert with a guy. That's why I can... And I don't try to look for things that can get me into danger because, honestly, it messed with my mind. I saw some things that night. I was like... I don't need to see this stuff. So I'd close my eyes. I was praying for wisdom, and I'm not looking for opportunities like that. It just when they come, I'm not as prone to say no. Like in the past, I, when I first became a Christian, I was like, I'm going to isolate myself in my holy bubble, and I don't want to taint myself. In fact, I took all of my old music, and I burned it. And what that did was I was declaring, Lord, I am solely yours, wholly consecrated for you. I believe at that point, Jesus said, okay, now you've sacrificed your Isaac. Now I can give this stuff back into your life because you're not going to idolize it. Because I used to be a huge Motley Crue fan. So I'll have to admit, I enjoyed the music that night. I didn't enjoy the show, but um, I didn't idolize it. I didn't worship at Motley Crue concert. I I prayed into into Todd's life. And so you think through... The opportunity of, of checking your motive, hearing what, what is God calling you to? God may call you into a place that you, you know, never have thought before in order to connect with somebody. It's risky as all get out. I mean, I, I can sense how it's like, geez, this just seems so dangerous. Absolutely. And if you're not strong in, in the Lord in that, then don't do it. I get that. But my point is, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to reach people where they're at to bring them into the kingdom of God. And we encourage our people in the same way. And so I know what you may be thinking right now. Oh, this is all risky stuff. Absolutely. It's absolutely risky. But I'd rather stand before the Lord saying, you know, I did it for you. I did it. And this is all I knew how to do. I may have been naive. I may have been confused. I may not have had the right um, angle, but my motive was pure. And that is what I'm going to be judged on. That's what I'm going to be held accountable for. And the Spirit of God has given me lots and lots and lots of success in reaching people who haven't been reached by other Christians before. So I do my part. I reach my seven. They come into the kingdom. I find another seven. As I keep listening for God's voice in my heart and life and mind, right now I have seven that I'm praying for. I keep praying for them. And then one of them comes in, I add another one. Another one comes in, add another. You know, I mean... And if you can get your people doing the same thing, ooh, how fantastic. Okay, let's push back on that, and then uh, I'll get into what I do. We do it in the church as well. We want to create an atmosphere that you're proud to invite your people to church. And I'll spend the, our remaining um, 25 minutes on that topic. But push back, wrestle with this.
yell at me, whatever you want to do. Or do you have a seven? Do you have somebody that you want to brag about as well? Yeah. The common ground event is huge. You got it. I agree. Be careful where you're going, exactly. I totally am there. I'm to Exactly. So if somebody sees me at the concert, the bigger thing is what if I see them at the concert? You know? So I the same kind of issue for sure, you know. I didn't see anybody at the concert that I knew, nobody there, but I don't know if anybody knew me, nobody did come up to me. But yes, my witness easily could have been hurt in that. And that's why I had sweaty palms, because I didn't want to go there. But I knew in that case I was supposed to. I haven't been to any other concerts since then, and I don't anticipate that. But in that case, I prayed through the issue. And that's where it's, it comes down to kind of the Peter story with the pork, you know. And everybody fights over the laws of the food and all that kind of stuff. And Peter says, you know what? For me, I'm not going to eat pork. I'm just called of God. That's not, that's not right for me, you know. But um, I'm, or, No, I'm sorry. There's freedom in food. There's freedom in food for Peter. But he said, if I'm in somebody who's convicted not to eat that food, I'm not going to eat that food in front of them. And so it, it's one of those things. In that case, I prayed over it, and it worked for bringing Todd to Christ. I'm not looking for that as a strategy. I'm saying I'm um, taking it case by case by case, minute by minute, because I am led by the Holy Spirit of God. And there's no Bible verse that says, don't go to a Motley Crue concert outside of watch for your witness. And I said, Lord, is my witness going to be hurt by going to this concert? And I was convicted clearly, it is okay. Just guard your mind, guard your heart, pray over it that you don't let these images, and those images aren't in my mind anymore, and I'm not tempted by any of that stuff anymore. So God did protect me. But I'm saying um, in that case, I was permitted by the Holy Spirit to go, and it won the family to Christ. Yeah, people are going to misinterpret, and they would have to come to me. It comes back to, it'll be what I talk about tomorrow. If you have a conflict with somebody, go to the person. And so if anybody had had a problem with me, and they started gossiping about me, God help them for their gossiping about me, or for their judgment on me. If you have a problem with me, come to me. And so I'm, I trusted that if they had seen me at that concert, that, that, pers that person would have come to me. And if they didn't, that's their issue. That's not my issue because I was permitted in that case to go. See how messy it is? I hate it. I, lo I would love it to be super clean and clear. Don't go anywhere ever except church. I would love that. Please give me that mandate, but he hasn't given me that mandate. I have to enter into their world. Jesus went into places Pharisees were like, how dare you hang out with sinners? And Jesus said, come to me and let's deal with it face to face. And when they did, Jesus handled himself. He said, you don't get it. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win them if it's not going to go outside of the conviction of what the Spirit is calling us to do. And so that, that's, where, that's the messy part of Christianity. And as long as we keep these boundaries of saying, thou shall not ever, ever, ever do that, it, it doesn't make sense to me because you're never going to, who then is ever going to reach my friend Todd? 
nobody would have reached that person, Todd. It, necessi- you know, I, I know that seems extreme, but in my case, I was permitted, and I was at peace with that. And God protected my witness, you know? But I'm not looking to get myself into bad situations, trust me. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would seem inauthentic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't act weird. I didn't act happy. I just kind of stood there, you know. I was just kind of like this, you know. I would sing the music that I knew, you know, kind of stuff. Um, but he, he was so happy he didn't pay attention, so I, I guess it was just what it was. Yeah, yeah. That was just a one-time thing. This is definitely not the point of today, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect it to be, sorry. Yeah. It's odd. Yeah. Yeah. It all happened because I told him, hey, I loved those guys when I was growing up. All right, let's go. And so I was like, okay, I want to enter into your world. So I entered into his world in that case. Yeah. And so enter into people's world and say, be authentic. As authentic. I was very authentic that night. He never, he never heard me fall into anything that I would ever stand against God or with God um, in a negative way. I handled myself with integrity the entire night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got it you got it we should have a microphone you should yeah that's good
That's exactly what I'm getting at. Just do life with people. Don't have a Roman road ready. Have a Roman road up here so that you're ready. Like in the case of Motley Cruz, I, I was able to say, do you know Jesus actually went to hell? He did? For real? I told the whole story of the gospel, and I wouldn't have had that chance had I not been in that environment. Exactly like with you in the fishing story. There was a guy, a good friend of mine, uh, well, a, a guy, Dave Ferguson, not a good friend, but he's a guy I idolize. <laughs> Bad idol. Um, but he's a, a pastor out of Chicago. He had a guy in his church who felt convicted, stop going to church on Sundays, not for Sabbath reasons, but because he noticed all of his work friends were hanging out on the lake every Sunday. So he said, I'm going to go enter into their world on Sundays, and I will worship in other ways in a small church kind of setting, but leave my current church temporarily to join this church. So that's weird. Don't go to your church. How weird is that? He went in and started hanging out with his um, buddies on the lake, and um, they were just drinking beer, having fun. It was all just party time. And then he started saying, hey, guys, I'm having a bad day. Do you mind? This is going to sound weird, but can, can I just... Could we stop and have a moment of silence that you guys can just, whatever it means to you, just to have good, happy thoughts go in my direction. So they did that. The next week, somebody brought it up. Hey, could we do the same thing? And, and then the guy said, hey, could I maybe say a, a prayer out loud? It's going to sound weird, but I really, I wonder if it could work. And he did that. The next week, they did it again. And the next week, and then they started to, um, and he, they, he started sharing an angle on the Bible and he opened up the Bible and then he said to his pastor friend Dave Ferguson he said I think I accidentally just planted a church <laughs> and a lake and a lake how Jesus is that but um, see the point is he is being instructed by his by the spirit and I know that sounds subjective because it seems like is that going against scripture but scripture doesn't say hey you got to go to Dave Ferguson's church on Sunday it's you have to be in a life of prayer and he was led to plant a church kind of like you're talking about with the fishing experience that we will have our eyes open to look for as many opportunities to connect with people that we typically wouldn't I don't want people just coming to our church that are just jumping from church to church while everybody else while 80 75 percent of Grand Rapids which is a churched area still doesn't go to church I want to find those 75% of the people that are hanging out at soccer fields and at the lake and fishing and all that stuff. And that's what that's the point to today. Please don't mishear the point. Get your people thinking outside of the box in that way. Okay? I want to make sure I don't miss this. Yeah, real quick. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. You're in, you're in that tricky line. Yep, a granddaughter, that gets messy. Granddaughters who want to do their own thing, and so you don't want to bring the judgment up. You have to do it exactly like this. So you're trying to enter into her world to understand and then find ways to get her to worship in, in her way and in a church. The best thing you could do is to bless her to find maybe another congregation that she can get ministered to. I'm praying my kids already start to look and find ways of being ministered to. Our kids, one of my kids goes to another youth group because they're more connected to that youth group. How sad, I'm the pastor and the kid doesn't come to our youth group? That's embarrassing, but I don't care because I want my kid to be a disciple and it's just messy. It's a messy world, but it's worth it for sure. I, uh, yeah, real quick. Who's your one? 
Are you winning him? <laughs> and you're winning him. He's already won. And you're never more alive. You're never, you're never more alive than watching that one grow in getting to know and then grow in Christ. There's nothing better. That's, that's what it's all worthwhile. And so my point is, at Cornerstone, they're bored with me saying this language, Brad saying this language, but we keep coming at it over and over and over again. And then our promise to our congregation is what your promise should be. And this <laughs> long intro to my uh, big objective right now to think in church systems, evaluate everything in your church through the eyes of the one or the fishing people or the Motley Crue Todd or whoever. What will they see when they walk in your church? Will they smell musty closets? Will they see at music that they don't understand? You hear a song, angels prostrate fall, and they're going to think, I think my grandpa just had that surgery. <laughs> they don't understand the language. So if you insist on doing that music, then explain it before you do it. So instruct your choir director or musician, we're going to get to a part in a song, angels prostrate fall, and you can even use that joke and say, your grandpa, you may be thinking, had that surgery, and just have fun with it. Let people laugh in church, and they go, whoa, that's kind of cool. What would a Motley Crue thinker think? They would be like, wow, this is, that's real. You guys are being real. And then you, when we get to that song, that, you know what that actually means? To lay before the Lord, trusting him with all of your life. So when that Motley Crue guy or fishing guy or that one sings that song now, they were uncomfortable before. Now they will sing it out because they're open maybe, you know. What, what is the, the mood that you create? Are your announcement times, you know, Kevin is, uh, I love every night watching him because he's, he's really trying to model, hey, we don't want to take a lot of time with announcements. We want to keep the mood going, that kind of thing. But there's a lot of things to get through with Bayshore stuff. So he's just trying to navigate that. In church, fight it tooth and nail. Because here it's not as evangelistic as it is in your churches week by week when you're reaching people that aren't in this kind of setting. But I'll tell you what, the stakes are very high. If you have this long announcements there's dead time and you're watching somebody kind of waddle up you know and they're taking their time and they get up there and there's all this dead time my generation generation below you've lost us we're already back on our phones doing our thing I wish that wasn't the case but it is so I have to enter into their world so we have everything literally you do this and then this and then when this part of the song gets done have the next person ready to go we went to video announcements. Instead of having a person come up, we just have video announcements. You could do that with just a flip camera. The iPhones take better video than any video I ever had when I was a kid. It's phenomenal stuff. You can do all sorts of things. You've got, get a tech teenager, boom, they can suddenly do some fun video announcements. Our teenagers were doing it at first, and it, people were rolling in the street seats, just kind of fun stuff. But think through all the way from beginning to end. Is the message relevant? Are you dealing with topics that are relevant? You know, are you hitting issues of, you know, that, so, for example, um, we'll do some times where we'll have some um, prayer time where what is the one big prayer you have that you want to offer God? Write it on a note and bring it up here. So then we have 2,000 pieces of paper up here. We then collect that information. Our prayer team prays over it. When they're done praying over all these, we get them. 
Now we have 2,000 pieces of data to find where are people hurting in this world. And we take that, we spreadsheet it, and we say, this is the number one topic, family, or this is the number one topic, financial stress, or issues of, you know, and so then we'll start to preach on those topics. People say, oh my goodness, it's completely hitting my world, because you're entering into their world, you're experiencing, and you're using your brain, you're using the data that God gives you, the information. You may think, that's all manipulation. Not at all. It's working with the brain you've got with the information you have. That's being very smart in a world that's very complex. And so we address these issues. Then they go, my goodness, my church is so relevant, hitting issues that hit my life. You got to check this out. Oh, my goodness. They're not afraid to invite their friends because they know their friends are going to go, that place that's real, alive. They're dealing with real issues. It's not just going through the motions of the same old tradition. I don't understand it. Don't do anything that's in-house. Um, like when I evaluate churches, I'll go in and do that kind of thing. Sometimes somebody will stand up, we'll do announcement time, and yeah, meet in the Lambs of God room right after church. If I'm a guest, I have no idea what you mean. Uh, when the pastor gets up to speak and they just start speaking, who is that person? If I'm a brand new person visiting, you should always assume there's going to be guests here. And so talk, hey, my name is Ken Nash. I'm so glad to have you here. If this is your first time, we have the guest services out here. We would love to have, connect with you, answer any questions you might have, give you a tour, or whatever. You know, just help people feel like a guest. We believe the worship experience on Sunday is the front door first opportunity for people to be exposed to your ministry. The deeper Bible studies and the deeper chances to get into deeper worship happen on Wednesday nights. They happen in small groups. They happen in um, special hymn sings. They happen in moments where you can have some other outlets for your deeper believers. But we tell, um, for example, another way to model for our congregation to create a good atmosphere, whenever we have new members, while we go through the membership stuff that you have to go through, we also say these kinds of things. Let's, congr or, uh, let's welcome these new members, and there will be like 15 or so new members, and we'll say, do you know what the blessing is for them to be new members? They now have to park the furthest away on Sunday morning to make room for our guests. They are su supposed to slide in and make room on the edges because if you're a guest with us, we want you to feel comfortable. Again, this is public. I'm modeling for, that, for everybody, slide in. Because when, when I'm a guest in a church, I know I want to find the quickest seat as quickly as I can because I'm uncomfortable. And so these are new members who are saying, I'm moving out of the crowd and into the congregation. I'm joining the deeper family. And to be a family, we sacrifice for one another, which means I take the more uncomfortable seats. I'm the last one when it's a crowded day to find a seat. I leave a seat open. I'll go to a more uncomfortable worship time. For, um, does it, you see what I'm saying? We're modeling, creating an atmosphere where people are excited to bring their friends, that this is a safe place. We say things like, we're never going to call you out. We're never going to make you raise your hand. I was a guest speaker one time at a church in, uh, in north of here, uh, not in the thumb. So none of you would know who this church is. And the pastor got up and he said, welcome, everybody. Anybody new from section one in the balcony? Anybody? Anybody new in section two in the balcony up here? Anybody? No kidding. This is how awkward it was. Section three? I, I don't recognize you. What is your name, sir? And went on, and the person's like, ah, blah, blah, blah. I was the guest speaker. I'm right here, and my heart was racing. And I'm the guest speaker, and I'm a public speaker. 
and he was, he was coming to me, and he's like, any guests, any guests? There's a guest, and he made me talk. I'm Ken. I'm visiting today. I'm your guest preacher, and I, I was nervous. I'm like, if I'm a, I'm, a prof- I'm a public speaker, and I'm nervous, how awful is it for them? And so I told him afterward, I took him out back, and I slugged him in the gut. <laughs> Don't you ever do that again, ever. Do you hear me? Think about the guest, you know, and and so he repented and, you know, and we made up, but my, I'm dramatic, of course, but you get my point. Think like the Babylonians think to be able to win them into your congregation. Just evaluate it. There's actually services I can get you in contact with called mystery guest services, and they're actually trained to come in as a mystery guest into your congregation unbeknownst to you they'll come over a six-month period of time surprising you and you won't know who they are because they're going to be normal people and they come in and they're trained on how to evaluate everything from how does this stuff look here to how does the flow work to how friendly your people are to how easy it is to get parking to how does your parking lot look does your place look attractive does it look normal I mean and they can give you all that feedback if you want that kind of stuff to evaluate from head to toe they're trained to do that and so I can get you in touch if you want that information that just came to my top of my head so I don't have it in front of me right now Um, but my point being I this I I get giddy this again I love this meeting the most right now because because my heart just loves to talk to leaders and you guys are leaders and you represent your church and you have a chance to be able to influence your ministry and so I want as many churches as can I can get my voice and heart into to just be relevant because I have a ton of friends who need you to be relevant. And obviously the kingdom of God needs you to be relevant because we are losing the battle. Our churches are declining. Culture is increasing in with, with globalization, Facebook, and all the ways we communicate poorly um, around the world as Christians. We're judgmental. We're not loving all of this stuff for all of these reasons. Let's do our part. We can't change all of Christendom, but we can certainly change what we can change. And so find ways to be as relevant as possible in your area of ministry because I'll tell you, the stakes are too high not to. Make sense? I know I, boy, this was a little off where I was headed, but I I think the big picture, you get the big picture of today. Um, Thoughts, questions? We have the last couple of minutes before um, Kevin Ixnay's our time. I hope this feels relevant enough that you're thinking, okay, I hope your minds are going saying, okay, what can I do in my ministry? What can I do with my role in my job? Of course they are. Yeah, they're fresh meat. Everybody knows. I get it. That's why I was saying model on Sunday morning as often just I use Sunday morning for modeling because even if you're a guest, a guest respects the fact that we're doing our best to create a safe environment for um, for guests, you know, and so and I get I was in a small my first church had 15 people in it. So when Ray showed up, I remember the day Ray showed up 
he, we already had a church split because he didn't believe there should be musical instruments in church. He was one of those Christians who said there should be no musical instruments. So he was really judgmental. But I was like, there's Ray. It was so fun how instantly we knew who he was, that tension was all there. But when there's nobody in the room, you can have all honesty talk through and stuff. But when you see a guest, just talk normally with the guest in the room, just saying, hey, we want to make it, if, if you're a guest with us today, and everybody knows who that person is, you know, but you can still just talk, you know, like we're, we're, we want to be welcoming, you know, I get that, yeah, yeah. right he's right yeah Mike Slaughter was pretty bold on that saying hey he was in a small church that grew very large right I've had the same experience of saying if you're relevant and real people are attracted to you it it just it really it really does work because here's the beautiful thing we're living during fantastic times people are clamoring and hungry for authentic truth and Jesus is the way the truth and the life and so we should be the ones that are more proud than any and more relevant than ever to create an atmosphere where they would be attracted and, and where Jesus is, there will be growth. It's, he's, you're spot on. All right, we're good. Okay, so um, <coughs> tomorrow, here's how it's going to play out. We're going to hit the issue of conflict within the church. Very, very, very important day. Lots to talk through on that topic. And then the next day, I'm going to get into just something that just is my favorite part of, um, of the theology, of Wesleyan theology, um, and I'll get into that. But we'll have about a half an hour of free time to have some, a lot of Q&A about anything under the sun around church systems, all that kind of stuff. So I'll make sure that I'm very disciplined to give us lots of Q&A time on Friday. Fair? Okay, very good. I love the word invest that uh, Ken used because all of our churches spend money and now it's just a matter of where are we investing that money and uh, it's very important and there was a time when I was appointed to a uh, church that uh, had conflict uh, before I got there and there was a church split before I got there and as I went to people and I they didn't know what I did for a living but I just said what do you know about that church over there and they said oh isn't that the one that had the split and so I knew what our reputation was in town, uh, which sometimes we can't answer. We just have to go to the people and ask them, what do you know about that church? Well, long story made short, we just started to invest. And our community, like other communities, has festivals. And we just invested $250 uh, into that festival so that we could give out 500 bags of popcorn, 500 hot dogs, 500 snow cones, free, no strings attached. And I knew we arrived when on our guest card on a Sunday morning where we had a little line that said, whom can we thank for inviting you here? And it said, a hot dog. <laughs> I knew we arrived. It was working. Uh, so, you know, we all got to do different things, whether it's the things that Ken described or whatever you're doing in your context. But the question is, what are you investing in? Not what are you spending your money on, but what are you investing in? Well, uh, go from here to wherever you need to be, whether it's Cookie and 
tea or coffee. Uh, recognize that about 25 after the hour, make your decision whether you're here or you need to start walking down there. Um, I still have $30, but it looks like we're going to be investing that somehow here at Bayshore Camp. And uh, also, a ring was found in the ladies' room South Bath House that says Forever Daughter. Forever daughter. Now that looks precious to somebody. So if uh, you happen to hear somebody say, I lost a special ring, um, by all means, uh, I've got it because somebody loved you enough to turn it in. Isn't that good? So love each other as you're out there. God bless. Have a good morning.